Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from Liverpool Echo. I'm your host Joe River today. I'm standing in for, um, for Matt Addison who's who's ill today so go easy on me. I feel a little bit like when Jose Enrique went in goal against Newcastle and Liverpool <laughs> lost that game 2-0. So hopefully um, hopefully I can do a slightly better than poor Jose Enrique that day. Um, joining me I've got three very happy gentlemen, well two very happy gentlemen and Paul Gorst. Um, you know it's, it's pouring down here in South Liverpool but but Jude Bellingham, Sean um, for England and, and Qatar, they won 6-2. So um, we'll start with you, Theo. thought I'd say hello to you, seeing as you are um, probably threw your paint up in the air, didn't you, after, um, after England won there. Um, are you a happy man this afternoon? Um, where is this thing coming from that I'm this diehard England fan? I just enjoy watching well, football when I'm not working it. You just you do enjoy watching the three lines, don't you? I'm sure you had your face painted there. You just rubbed the, oh, yeah. Rubbed the I've just watched it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it was an all right performance from England, but then it feels wrong talking about England like this on the, the podcast, doesn't it? Like, let's be honest, we just want to talk, talk about Jude Bellingham. Like, you watch it and you see, oh, Trent's not on starting, Henderson's not starting, England score a few goals, you think, oh, he might throw him on here. No, we'll just see every other offensive player in the England squad and Liverpool's guys can just be rested, but then that's what we want, isn't it? At the same time, like, you can feel a bit aggrieved not to see the Liverpool players getting on for. England, and you think, how how come Southgate can't turn to them when he's still sticking with Harry Maguire at centre-back? But it just means they've got through the game without injury. But from the outside view, you look at Jude Bellingham, that was a superb performance from him. And I suppose it's quite nice to see England's positive performance, a few goals, no negatives here. I was saying earlier, I couldn't really go into the team lineup before the game because England might just turn it on and you can't really go anti-England in case they do get a couple of good performances and Southgate decisions pay off and that's been the case today so we'll wait until later in the tournament for the negativity where it all blows up in his face but it's a good start for England let's say that. Hey look Phil I was only I was only saying hello so for a man who doesn't care much about England he just hijacked that little hello segment just to tell us all about England. So I thought you were asking me point there. No, no, just a new way anyway, of doing things. We'll we'll move on and say hello to, to Richard Garner, who again sort, sort of took me back today by surprise. Um because you, you seem to be a bit of an England fan. Were you blowing your bugle um during that one? <laughs> well, I enjoyed the game. I'll go I'll go a little bit further than Theo. I thought it was an excellent performance from England. To be quite honest with you, we've seen a few uh a few damp ones in the past down the years, which normally normally starts a bit of a nat- national media witch hunt for the manager, whoever it may be. But um, there'll, there'll be none of that today, will there? Because um, that was a superb performance, as far as I'm concerned. I've, I've always said this about like Liverpool and England. I'm, I'm I'm definitely a club before country man, but I don't. I certainly don't have the uh, the test for England that a lot of other. Uh, Liverpool supporters might so uh, you know I, I, the way I see it is the, the national team my son enjoys watching them I enjoyed World Cups down the years so and that's the way I always view it I don't 
I don't look at it any other way, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed the game today. As you say, no, no Liverpool players uh, uh, to worry about involved there, really. So, but um, yeah, a, a comfortable win and a, and a good start for England. So yeah, all good. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, can't argue with that. But I can say hello to Paul Gorse, who's been sitting there patiently waiting for these two England nutters to, um, <laughs> to get all that off their chest. Gorsey, you, you don't buy into all this three-line stuff, do you? No, I certainly don't play the play anything in the brass band like like these two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> watching it as a um, as a neutral, I guess you'd call me. Um, I thought Bellingham was was excellent. Um, kind of does that thing where he doesn't excel at any one particular thing in his game. He just does everything to a very very high standard. And I noticed, um, I think it might have even been an injury time. He, he was looking to play like a little round the corner pass, and I think it was still at six one. And he didn't quite get it. I can't remember who, who Santa passed it to, possibly Rashford. And it, it, he didn't make the move for him. And he, and he started having a little bit of a go at him, a little bit of a gesture towards him, like you should have made that run and could have played you in. And just shows you what he's all about, really. He's, you know, he's still only a teenager, but he's got that kind of old head on the shoulders to to to, um, to be a little bit of a leader, you know, giving out instructions in the centre of the park. And uh, I thought he took his goal really well. It was a great header, wasn't it? As Theo put on Twitter, it was kind of reminiscent of... Gerard in Istanbul. Um, so it's superb from him. And look, I think everyone knows how good how good he is. So we're not going to be kind of, you know, jumping on the bandwagon after the back of a convincing win against um Iran at the World Cup. But uh, perhaps, you know, for, for some people who don't quite watch the Champions League regularly or don't watch the Bundesliga, you know, you're kind of getting a bit more of a look at what he's about. And um you can see why. There's so much interest in him, not least from uh, from Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. So great performance from him, and then um, I suppose if you're uh, if you're into that sort of thing, it was a big win for England. Well, they were playing around, so I'll just uh, I'll just make sure that we we don't get carried away just yet. But we will stay. Look, I, I mean, I don't want to spend the next forty minutes just talking about England. Um, I don't think this is a Liverpool podcast. I don't think every anyone wants to listen to that. But we should stick with Jude Bellingham, and and just let's stick with Jude Gorsley because. I think oh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, <laughs> if, if you were a betting man, um, yeah. would you bet money on Liverpool signing Jude Bellingham? He just seems to be the type of player, as mm. you've just pointed out, he's just got a bit of everything. Um, he just seems to be the type of player that would, would shine in that Liverpool midfield. Yeah, he does. Um, I think if you look at his age, you think you're buying him for 15 years, aren't you? If you're a top club, you're only going to be looking to get rid of him when he's on the slide, and he's still only a teenager, so he's got at least 15 years ahead of him, you know, as a top level midfielder, you'd imagine. So, although the cost is going to be incredible, he's going to pay for himself, isn't he, over the course of, of that contract? It kind of reminds me a little bit of when Liverpool bought Jordan Henderson in 2011. You know, Jordan Henderson's still the captain of Liverpool's team, still starting most games when he's fit now in 2022. Um, it's that kind of long-term investment, isn't it, that makes you forget how much he was, you know, 10, 11 years ago or whatever. So um, I think there's certainly interest in him. Uh, we were in, I was at a press conference a couple of weeks ago and one of the reporters kind of phrased the takeover question to, to Klopp in a way that kind of said, you know, would it mean that you're going to be able to buy the likes of Jude Bellingham? And, and Klopp didn't even flicker. He didn't even say, well, why are you mentioning him? It was just kind of just accepted that Liverpool have a really strong interest in this player and, you know, it's kind of a bit of an open secret these days. So, uh, Liverpool will be doing the necessary checks, I'm sure. I'm sure that, they, you know, 
they've probably got a decent relationship with his father dating back dating back years to be honest his father mark um but then it's just the cost isn't it um and so much is up in the air at the moment with the takeover stuff you know fsg is saying business as usual but what does that mean does that mean that Liverpool are able to buy players as usual or you know as, as kind of other people may remark it means that they're not going to be able to buy players because that's how business as usual works with with fsg so it's a difficult one um I'm, I'm less confident than i was a few months ago shall we say i think maybe last summer was the the opportunity for liverpool given that pretty much every other top club in europe signed a central midfielder um that won't be the case next summer and i think they will face a little bit more competition in terms of being like a sporting project to be like if they're in the champions league then you've got as good a chance of, of selling it to bellingham as anyone else really but I, they're not going to be able to pay the wages of a man city or probably a real madrid so um it remains to be seen but certainly they're, they're, they're going to be right in the right in the thick of it i'd imagine next summer for, for Jude bellingham's signature good politicians that answer that gorsi <laughs> wouldn't be drawn but but they are you know it's funny gorsi says he's less confident than maybe you were you were in the summer but the Bellingham situation for me sort of reminds me a little bit of Van Dyke when, when Liverpool sort of gambled and waited to sign him because he was the, the man that they wanted. And there was a lot of noise in the first half of that season about mistakes being made in the transfer market, that sort of thing. But then they, they got their man quite quickly and quite almost unexpectedly that, that Christmas. Was it a couple of days after Christmas, he was pictured by his by his tree wearing his shirt. You so, seem again for Christmas now, Joe. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that is there any part of you that is confident that Liverpool could get him because of the, the patient they've, patience they've shown in the transfer market? They haven't gone after other targets, or do you think this time it's slightly different and and that the, the competition with Madrid might make it a little bit harder than it was with Van Dijk? I think it's a, a mixture of the two, really. It depends what talks that have gone on behind the scenes with um, Jude Bellingham's representation. I. Klopp was also asked about him in the summer and he said the only issue with this player is he's not available. He's never flinched at the price or anything and said, no, we can't afford him like he has with Kylian Mbappe or Erling Haaland. These, even um, Jadon Sancho and Liverpool being linked with him a couple of years ago, he always said the price would be beyond them. It's been a different conversation with Bellingham. So it, I think it comes down to what he wants, what project appeals to him. Like we saw it in the summer with uh, Aurelien Schoemeni when Liverpool we're interested in him. They held the talks. So is there any chance? And it's like, no, he only wants to go to Real Madrid. Fair enough. But there's no reason why Liverpool couldn't do the same sort of thing with Jude Bellingham. Like if We know he's a big fan of Steven Gerrard. And while he might not be a proper boyhood Liverpool fan, they're a club he admires. So if he's got his heart set on Liverpool, or that's the one that's swaying him most, then I don't think it really matters as much that he'll be on an extra... 50, 60, 70, whatever, grand a week at a Real Madrid or a Man City. Because we know if you go to Liverpool and you do your job, you're going to be on those top riches in three years anyway. Like It didn't take long for Diogo Jota to get a pay rise after his success. Harvey Elliott's had a couple of pay rises in the last couple of years. Like if he comes to Liverpool and is part of a successful project, he will get those riches in no time at all. And as Gorsty said, well, you're part of it for 15 years now. Like We didn't think maybe when Jordan Henderson signed it'd still be at Liverpool, I suppose, 12 months later when you saw that season went, never mind still being here now. And he's doing uh, media duties with ITV. I'm not sure if any of you saw it, but they said to him, this is probably your last World Cup. He's like, what are you on about? Are we throwing that one out there? 
I could still be doing it at 36, like Luka Modric and Tony Cruz and all these players. So like maybe Jude Bellingham's this next talent. So it is just what conversations have been had. We see him on England duty. We know he's close with Jordan Henderson. We know where Trent seems to be in his ear quite a lot. So if they're selling Liverpool to him, he wants to work with the Jurgen Klopp and good talks have been held with his family, with his representation. And there's no reason to believe Liverpool can't do it. But if he's sitting back and goes, all right, I've got all these options to choose from and it comes down to purely finances, Liverpool, you'd expect to miss out. But then when it comes down to that, Jürgen Klopp's not as interested anyway. He said in the past, if you're only coming here because we've got Champions League football or because it's the highest wage around, we don't really want you to be honest. We want players that are right for us, believe the same things, have the same mentality and can go on the journey together. So it's just wait and see what happens in these next few months and see what noises coming from Bellingham's camp and make a decision off that, really. It could go either way. We'll see. But that's why we've got all this uh, interest and in, isn't it? All this speculation. Why one report will say, oh, he's nailed on for Real Madrid. The next will say Liverpool are favourites. They could even get them in January. It's going to change so many times until he actually makes his move. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rich, when, when you watch a, a performance like today, um, does it underline how much of a gamble it was for Liverpool to, to perhaps wait an extra year or be forced to wait an extra year to strengthen their midfield and, and, and perhaps put all their eggs in the Jude Bellingham basket? Because surely, surely looking at that, you know, it's only going to increase his price tag, the competition for his signature. And, um, you know, Liverpool are playing a, a big gamble with Champions League football, aren't they, the position that they're currently in? Yeah, there's there's a lot of variables, isn't there? Um, a lot of things that could go wrong that would prevent the signing of Jude Bellingham uh, by Liverpool in the summer. And, you know, a performance like that today, uh, regardless of the opposition, is only going to uh, bolster his, uh, his price tag, isn't it? And, uh, and, and I'd imagine that will continue as this uh, tournament goes on. I think it, I mean, it's pretty plain to see now, isn't it, that Liverpool are short in midfield. The, 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 um, the trusted, the trusted trio, uh, you might say, haven't got enough legs between them. And, and that's why I think we'll see, um, plenty more of Elliot and, and some of these younger lads now purely because they've got the legs to get around the pitch that, that is just missing. So, so getting, getting, Runners in there first and foremost this season, I think, is going to be vital because even as I was saying on the pod the other week, even the um, even some of the lower teams in the Premier League now are, are matching Liverpool in midfield purely through the work rate, not through the through the actual uh, necessary having the same quality of players. Uh, so, so that that's a problem for now. And then in terms of of next season, just pinning everything on Bellingham feels high risk unless. There is also there's already some sort of gentleman's agreement, which which you know, proper man from Del Monte stuff uh, when they sign Collie Moore is stuff that's um, that that that's kind of done in the background to confirm that he definitely wants to come to Liverpool and he's not going to be swayed by some sort of multi 
million pounds offer from Real Madrid or elsewhere, then um, the, surely they've got to have other targets in the mix because this 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 whole uh, plan A or nothing. Uh, it might it might have worked a couple of times, but we've already seen now that it, it, it's probably not sustainable. Um, and as much as I'd like Liverpool to sign Jude Bellingham, just just pinning everything on that, it just feels extremely risky. Well, another young man who did sign a long-term deal with Liverpool last week was Curtis Jones. Gorsley, how much does that point to, with both Jones's contract and, and Elliot, seeing a lot of football this year and being properly blooded into Liverpool's first team? How much does that show that there's a lot of sort of background work going on in Liverpool's midfield? Yeah, I think Liverpool are kind of <clears throat> very aware that they've got uh, kind of in balance in terms of probably too many players at one stage of their career and too many players at the complete opposite end, haven't you? When you think of the likes of Jones, Carvalho and Elliot, who were kind of late teens, early 20s. And then on the flip side, they've got the likes of Milner, Henderson and Thiago, who were all 30 and above. So um, there, there does need to be a little bit of kind of um, thinking for the here and now. And Bellingham would be that, even though he'd obviously be one who'd give you 10, 15 years, as I say. But um, I think just... Tying down the likes of Elliot and Jones just to, you know, kind of future proof that you know that the um the, the squad essentially. Um I've been I mean it's been a difficult difficult time for Jones because he obviously had, had that injury, didn't he? The stress fracture or stress uh, stress reaction, the clock kept calling it. No one really knew what he meant by that. But um we had the chance to speak to him after the forest game, uh, Jones, that is, and he opened up a little bit on, on how serious it was, and it, it did sound like a, like quite a bad one. So it was great to see him kind of get his season up and running just before the break. And I thought he played well against Napoli. Um, you know, we, I think he's an option for that front three as well. I think we spoke about that on the on last week's pod. So um, I was I was happy to see him extend his contract. I don't think he's going to be someone who's, who's ever really going to be a, a nailed on starter for Liverpool week in, week out. But he's certainly a, a very good squad option for games in Cups and Games against some of the kind of lesser head of the teams in the division. So yeah, it was um, it was quite important really, that they, they, they got him tied down because um, you know looking across the rest of the midfield, there is there are quite a few contract situations that are looking quite perilous, aren't they? You know, Cater's going to be into the last few months of his. Oxley Chamberlain, you'd imagine, is probably going to leave on a free at this point, and and James Milner only signed the one year extension anyway. So um, yeah, Liverpool have certainly got work to do in, in midfield, but. Uh, they can't really do a whole lot while the window's shut. So um, little things like Elliot, new contract and Jones are, are a good way to kind of, as I say, future-proof your options. Yeah, Theo, how much more work, due Bellingham aside and those contracts aside, is needed in Liverpool's midfield department? I mean, it, it, it does feel like the area of the team that, that next summer or, or even starting in January will need, will need the overhaul. Yeah, it does. Like Liverpool were quite open in the summer that they planned this revamp of the side gradually. So it was the attack in 2022 and midfield is the, the subject for 2023. And you look at the current options, they've got 10 senior midfielders, but then how many of them are realistically going to be at the club next year? You think Oxlade Chamberlain's probably going to go, Cater's probably going to go. Milner, you can't keep getting contract extensions year after year. Like it doesn't matter that you still performing well for his age and everything. There will come a time when it catches up with him and he'll decide he wants to retire when he's on top or go and play elsewhere. And it's about 
having that transition ready. So Liverpool can't just go into it. All these old players are gone now. We can just put the teenagers in and that will be great. They need some middle ground in. Like that's probably why they signed Art Mello on loan, saying if this pays off, that's one such uh, void field. He can be a quality option, could come in, maybe stake his claim. Not seeing much of him but because of injury. I'm not going to see much of him because of injury. But that maybe shows the sort of player that they're looking to. They, they need a few. Like We're going to see at least three midfielders go in the summer. And while when players don't have the injury records of Liverpool's midfield, you don't need 10 senior options. You still need to have enough quality and enough variety in those options. Like What makes Jude Bellingham different to uh, Elliot or Carvalho is he's got the versatility. He can be a six, he can be an eight, he can be a 10. He's a lot bigger than them. He's got that profile to be this powerful box-to-box midfielder, whereas they're more a bit tricky in the Thiago mould without having quite as good a, a passing range. And we've said it so many times that Liverpool don't have the, the backup option for Fabinho. Like Henderson, he's another one who's still going strong, but wrong side of 30. They need someone who's a more natural fit there. Maybe Besetic in the long term could be a, a long-term replacement as a number six. But there are Tyler, always... Tyler Morton is playing very well. Tyler at Morton as well, who's doing really well at Blackburn. Like there are these talented youngsters there. But as Gorstein referenced, you can't be one end of the spectrum, the other. You need something in the middle there. And that's what Liverpool need to target in the summer. That's why it was um, intriguing seeing those links to Mason Mount last week. Because while he, he's not a number six, he's someone who offers goals. He's very rarely injured. And he is at that elite age where he's, what, 23 now. So he's someone else who you sign him. You get him for the best part of a decade. Realistically, I don't think many people can see him leaving Chelsea and Liverpool's name's probably been thrown out there to get him the contract he wants at Chelsea. But that is the sort of profile for a midfielder Liverpool want. Someone who can offer them something a bit more offensively than the current options, who has got that versatility to fill in a few roles, who's so young that you are going to get them for the best part of a decade and someone who rarely misses games. That's going to cost a lot of money. But then Liverpool haven't been shy of spending the bucks in the past when it has been for the right player with the right profile. We've seen with Darwin Nunes only in the summer. Rich, if Liverpool did add a Jude Bellingham to their midfield and then they had the likes of Bersetic, as, as Theo mentioned there, Tyler Morton, perhaps if he comes back um, next summer from Blackburn, and then Elliot Jones, and should the likes of, of Cater, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Milner leave, does that still leave them short? Or do you think that you spend big on a player like Bellingham and you can put those players around him and he will drag up everyone else up? Well, I suppose the question is, is, is Bellingham good enough that he can compensate for a lack of experience around him if, you, if you're betting more young players? And, and we're hey, saying Rich, a lack of experience. I'll ask, I'll ask the questions here, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm posting this podcast. <laughs> Just tell me what the questions are. <laughs> <laughs> well, we say I'll hijack my podcast. <laughs> I'm not Madison. I, I, won't no, no, I was happy to host, but you know, I wouldn't want to step on your toes, mate. Yeah, uh, um, I mean, I say a lack of experience around them. He's 19 himself, Bellingham. You yeah, know it's, I mean? it's, it's, it's like just bizarre, isn't it? But yeah. he, he, they were saying they were saying on the BBC earlier how, how well he comes over as 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 like captain material, and and it, it, it's true that he really does. For someone who's nineteen, um, it, it's uh, it's crazy, really. But I do think that they still could do with um, someone else in there, experienced, who, who pretty much what Theo said, really. So that sort of that middle ground player, probably probably an existing Premier League player, someone who, who, who's proven in this division uh, and can just slot in there and sort of either sort of go hand in glove with Bellingham but but bring the other players in as well. 
I'm I'm not sure. Um, some of these other young lads around, all good players, Elliot Jones, Cavallo. I'm just not sure what their defined roles are yet. Where where the mm-hmm. best suited? Where where are they going to excel for Liverpool? I suppose I suppose some of them need need a few games where they just they can just say, yeah, this, this is my position, and I, and and I'm I'm sh- taking this off the old guard and making it my own. And although although they've all impressed me in their own individual moments, no one has really stood out to me that much as if to say, yeah, this is. This is the player who's, who's definitely going to do it for, for years to come. So there's definitely an opportunity for that in the second half of the of the season, and, and maybe that decision for Jurgen Klopp becomes a bit easier then if one of the existing young lads uh, uh, really really stamps their authority on the team. And not forgetting Tyler Morton as well, Blackburn as well. He was, of course, a good we're all lad. So it'd be nice to see him uh, back in the team. Well, Just jump on there as well. There is one simple thing as well that. Um, they're lacking in midfield. I think Klopp referenced it after the Leeds game where he um, made a few substitutions, eyebrows were raised, and he was saying, well, we had to make these changes because just because the height of the team, and we're talking about Elliot, Carvalho, Morton, they're not exactly these tall lads who can help you at set pieces like a Fabinho or a Henderson. So that's something else where Bellingham ticks the box and they need players like this who can just help them at set pieces, be a bit of physical and have a helping hand in both boxes. At Liverpool like to have these, I suppose, athletic players that have got great engines on them, cover so much of the pitch and actually win everything in the box. You want these profiles of players and they don't really have too many coming through in the ranks at the academy at the moment. Granted, it comes with age, doesn't it? One of them could have a massive growth spurt or really bulk up, but that, that is something else they need to complement those current options. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's definitely something they go for, isn't it? If you look at Kanate, um, you know, he's, he is a man mountain and I think that, that helps them with a lot of headers. But look, moving slightly on now from Bellingham, I just wanted to touch upon this. Um, so, look, I'll put this to you, Gorsi. Um, a lot of talk before the game this morning um, about um, England captain Harry Kane wearing a one-love armband um, yeah. um, against against Iran. Um, Virgil van Dijk was also going to do it for the Netherlands. Uh, Wales were going to take part. Switzerland, um, I think France, perhaps. But there was a few nations that were going to take part. Um, FIFA subsequently told them late yesterday, I believe, that any player that that does do that could end up getting a yellow card. And those nations all pulled out this morning with a very strong statement, um, sort of, Pointing the finger back at FIFA. What what are your thoughts on it, Gorsi? I mean, there's been so much about this World Cup that just leaves yeah. a leaves a bad taste. And you know, honestly, I I don't want to go on an, an epic rant about it in here, but it, it really isn't it really isn't very nice. Um, what are your thoughts about that and the FA's decision to not wear those armbands? Do you think it was a risk they couldn't take? I don't know, really. I mean, it it make the machine a lot more. Um, you know, like they had courage of their convictions. If they mm-hmm. just said, you know, they put two fingers up to them and did that anyway, and Harry Kane takes a yellow card and, and so what, so be it. You know, he's, he's probably not going to be getting sent off, is he? Um, I, t- I just think it was a missed opportunity, really, to kind of say, well, this is what we're about, so we're doing it. And you know, so many reasons around this World Cup are, are so strange and controversial. And it, it, to be honest, I've been calling it a farce for days. and there was a there was a bit where um, 
where the England fans were, were kind of locked out, weren't they, before kickoff? And they'd been outside for two hours, and I was thinking, it's just another another bit of a farcical entry into this World Cup already. And then I was thinking, perhaps perhaps I want this to be the most nonsensical, farcical tournament that there ever was, and that's all it will ever be remembered for. And I was thinking, that that's quietly my hope, if that's not too kind of morbid. Um, because I just think, it, it does not. I feel sorry for the players, really, because... They haven't had the same with it being held or, you know, mm. the the issues around them and whatever else. They get asked how they feel and, and some of them have, have been able to kind of say what, what they what they think and fair play to them. But ultimately, they're, they're representing the nations, aren't they? So they haven't had too much of a say in it. But everything else around it, I just think is just, it just doesn't feel right at all, does it? Um, and this this was another kind of hammer blow to that today. And I just think it was a missed opportunity for the FAs of, of those nations not to say, well, we're going to do it anyway. And they would have got a lot more kind of um, respect and, and credit for doing that. Um, but it's just another kind of farcical entry into what is already stacking up, isn't it? Um, it just doesn't feel like a World Cup at all. It just doesn't feel right and proper. And for, for, for so many of the issues, but obviously the main ones are the fact that so many migrant workers have, have died constructing the stadiums and the fact that they don't allow same-sex relationships in the country it's just it's just not not right is it well look you know, rich i mean i'll come to each of you individually you, you're obviously you know gorsi and i aren't huge fans of international football you know i like a world cup as much as the next person but i you know i wouldn't say my life halts and i get really excited about it but, but I, I respect that you guys do um so thing how, how do you feel i mean how fair is this on the players you know they are the ones now who come in for a bit of criticism, which is frankly ridiculous because it's not their decision. But but yeah, I mean, how unfair is it on them? Because I think there's a certain expectation, isn't there, on players sometimes to, to make these big stands with, with gestures at certain tournaments and, and certain occasions. Um, you know, and, and we're now looking at them to do these sorts of things um, in a place where a World Cup really has no business being. Sorry to just interject with all my opinion there, but but yeah, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, you, you pretty much said it between you, you and Gorsty there. Like it's a World Cup, and you can get excited if you you focus on the football, and it doesn't come around very often. It's every four years, the best nations there, but it still doesn't feel like a World Cup. There's still this bad taste in their mouth because of everything that's going on, all this hypocrisy and contradictions, like we see Infantino's obscene mm. offensive speech where he's going through today i feel this today i feel that you know well, if you're really wanting to speak up about the in inclusivity then you should have at least let them warm the armbands you should have let them make these stands um there's a few good points i've seen on twitter about it it's not really a protest if you have permission to do it it's like well why don't the managers wear it then like how often are you going to see your manager sent off like gareth southgate and uh, Louis van Gaal, all these, they could have had that one love armband. There is another yeah. way to make this protest. Like you go all the way to Qatar and it's well, you could boycott the tournament, but you're supposed to be make go in there to make this message to the people, to all these rich billionaires there who've bought the World Cup and all the messiness there. And it just seems like they've run out of ideas uh, for how to go about doing it the right way. But then it shouldn't be on the players to make these stance. Like Jurgen Klopp has said it so many times when he's been asked about it in the press conferences in the recent months. It's like, well, why weren't these conversations had when they were given the World Cup 12 years ago? Why wasn't enough done to stop this? Why wasn't enough done to make FIFA actually answer for this and not sort of back down at the last minute? So it's only 
on the, what, the 11th hour before the games, oh yeah, you can't wear those armbands. It's only two days, a day before the start of the tournament. Oh yeah, you can't drink beer in the stadiums. It's just so much that isn't adding up. And I think, was it Milos already who pointed out at the opening ceremony that Infantino sitting next to some of the Saudi guys who apparently bid into host 2030. So all this corruption is just going to carry on. It's like, yeah, we'll be in US, Mexico and Canada for 2026. But there's still that very ugly side to the game. And Saudi Arabia managed to buy the World Cup for 2020, um, 2030. Sure. I don't, interject that. I, don't, I don't know whether they can. I don't think it can come back to... I'm pretty sure the World Cup in 2030 cannot come back um, to the Middle East because, because it, it will rotate on. So, you know, Europe is is, is the favourite for 2030. But because... there's still this side to it, isn't there? Where it's just, you want to focus on the football. And when you do allow yourself to focus on the football, you can sort of buy into the World Cup fever. But there's so much going on behind the scenes that it doesn't feel like a World Cup. And it just makes you feel, I don't know, fall out of love with the game a bit because you see all these ugly sides to it all this yeah it's just so much we could say so much be um go into all the controversies gary lineker did it himself to me when bbc decided not to show the opening ceremony yeah. when they're talking about the deaths of the migrant workers and all the lack of human rights and one of the most insulting things from infantino's speech was he even forgot women exist he didn't say i feel like a woman did he until he was reminded what about women so it just shows how clueless out of touch and just offensive and wrong these people at the top of the game are um yeah, I'm sure Jürgen Klopp will come up with many great answers about this, more eloquent than I ever could when he gets asked about it, when we report back for club duty. But it's just get through the, the World Cup, back to club football, where we can say it's maybe not as quite as ugly in this side of it. But then when we're back to Premier League football, Liverpool's first games against Man City, with all their Abu Dhabi billions, Newcastle are the richest club in the world. And if Liverpool get a takeover at some point, they could fall into that very same trap themselves where it's this side of the game that we don't really want to acknowledge properly. It's just the way it's come at the moment, isn't it? Well, we'll, we'll touch on takeovers and FSG in a minute. And I don't want to I don't want to spend too long on this pod talking about the social issues of the World Cup because, as you've just mentioned, there are a lot of other people have. But, Rich, I just want you to be able to have your say. And you touched on before watching the, the World Cup with your lad, um, you know, the sort of innocence of, of enjoying a tournament. You know, can can we enjoy it in that respect with everything that's gone on? We can certainly try to. Um, it is there's so much going on around it that it's it's it, it is compromising that, isn't it? The whole point of football, in its essence, is it's an entertainment business. And it's an escape from the trappings of of normal life, uh, and 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 it should be something that should be enjoyed by all, and and and. World Cups in the past have, have, have demonstrated inclusivity and, and togetherness and 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 and, and, and all, everything that should be enjoyable about football. And we 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 have a bit of a sideshow on here, which is uh, making making that more difficult. From just to keep it brief, really, the way I've always looked at this with Qatar was most people, I'm sure, on this part and, and, and maybe. Why there would probably be an agreement that Qatar should never been awarded this World Cup. However, the only real protest that I can see that a nation could give is to just not compete in it. Now, every single one of these nations is competing in it, so to a certain degree, they become complicit with its whole being, uh, whether they like it or not. 
Um, but that horse has bolted, haven't he? Because everyone's here yeah. and everyone's going to be taking part. So unless a team turns around and says, no, we're not having this, we're pulling out, um, it, the show will go on, won't it? So yeah. um, armbands or no armbands, taking the knee, not taking the knee, ridiculous comments by the FIFA president or not, it, it, it's still going ahead. And, and the only way only way you can stop that is by simply saying, "Just we're just not going to be part of it. Uh, but the, the one question I've got is these sort of late U-turns we've had on things like the sale of alcohol, like the changes to ceremonies and that. Who's making the call on these? Because it doesn't look like FIFA to me. Uh, and and w- what that means in, in the in the wider scheme of things uh, for for the World Cup and, and for where football is going, uh, I'm not sure, but I've got a feeling we'll find out eventually. OK, well, just to finish off, we'll touch on... Um... FSG takeover. Um, don't want to do any huge spoilers, but of course you've written a good piece that we're going to use for the morning, which is about um, Mike Gordon and his role um, now for FSG and trying to sell the club. Um, I know there's no huge concrete updates. I mean, Jerry Cardinal of Red Bird has come out and said that they aren't um, going to be involved in the bidding process, which is is what the Echo reported um, in recent weeks. Um, but you know, of course, if you can just give us any sort of update, I'm asking you for an update when there isn't one, but if you can give us any sort of overview on where the, the process is up to and, and what's happened in the last week or so, um, I think that'd be a nice way to sort of round off this pod. Yeah, I suppose the, the most interesting thing of it all is that Mike Gordon is stepping away from his, his day-to-day duties as kind of the uh, the face that runs the place, if you like, at Anfield. Um, I think most most fans know John W. Henry, obviously, and, and Tom Bernard, but I don't think a lot of them would be able to necessarily know who Mike Gordon is if we kind of walk past him in the streets. He's very low profile, keeps his head down, um, and in a similar kind of way that Michael Edwards did. Uh, Michael Edwards only kind of became known through his, you know, his exploit as sporting director. You know, for years there was only one of those two kind of stock pictures of him, wasn't there? And yeah. Not a lot. Was Mike Gordon. Yeah, um, and Mike Gordon operates very much in, in a similar way. So I think it's significant that he's stepping away from. Just, you know, working at Liverpool day-to-day and being in regular contact uh, contact with Jürgen Klopp and whatever else to um, exploring the options of, of what's out there, essentially. You know, whether that's inst- external investments from uh, other companies or whatever, or an outright sale. Um, so, Billy Hogan is kind of stepping into the Mike Gordon role of just, you know, making sure that the club trundles on as it would in a day-to-day fashion. And Gordon is focusing... His efforts elsewhere, and, and we know that they've already instructed Morgan Stanley and, and Golden Sachs to to see what's out there and see how much appetite there is for for a buyer and whatever else. And Joe Daypal, our business of football writer, would be better placed to give you a, you know kind of more in depth analysis around that. But I'm sure that Liverpool are not going to be short of, of plenty of interest. You know, it's a um, one of the kind of jewels of the Premier League, isn't it? And it's available and that doesn't happen too often, to be perfectly honest, does it? You know, Roman Abramovich only sold Chelsea because, you know, the, the UK government seized his assets. The Glazers have been in charge of United since 2005. Um, City's owners have been there since 2008. So um, it doesn't happen very often, does it, that a, a major club is on the market. So I imagine there will be plenty of interest from all areas of the world. Um, it's just a case of, you know, what comes next. Uh, Tom Werner said earlier this week, or rather last week, that 
it was um, business as usual and, and they were looking at a potential buyer, but they were under no agencies to sell. And, and I suppose that makes sense, doesn't it? You know, that it's not a distressed asset that they need to offload quickly. It's basically just testing the waters and, and seeing what's out there. And, and that will be done, overseen by Gordon, which I think, uh, given his kind of track record um, as, you know, the most hands-on of FSG, I think it's safe to say it'll be in, in safe hands. Yeah, it speaks to their seriousness, doesn't it, about this the yeah. sale that they've given it to a man that you know, John Henry, Jaden Klopp, pretty much everyone at the club rates so highly, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, as I say, kind of Tom Werner is is the one who goes to the Premier League meetings and acts on Liverpool's mm-hmm. behalf. He, he's very much the the polished TV guy, if you like, because he's he's got a background in in TV production and. Uh, John W. Henry is kind of the patriarch of the group who kind of sees everything from afar and, and makes kind of longer term strategic plans, I guess, from Boston. But Gordon is, is as we say, very much, you know, in, in, in the thick of it all. And I assume, you know, he's um, not only does he speak to Jürgen Klopp regularly, he speaks to, to everyone else at the club regularly as well. Uh, Pep Linder speaks very highly of him in, in his book. And um, he just seems to be someone who, who essentially knows the club and its best interests are heart. Um, so it's going to be an in- interesting few weeks and months, isn't it? Um, I, I wouldn't even be able to hazard a guess as to how quickly a sale could happen or wh- whether it happens at all. It's um, it's just a very interesting time, I think, and obviously we'll be covering every step of the way. Well, thanks very much, Paul, and thanks very much, lads, for joining us today. Um, that's your lot. Uh, we'll be back on Friday when we'll be discussing another Big England game. More World Cup controversy. What will they ban next? And um, lots more besides. So thanks very much for joining us. I hope I got through this without being too Jose Enrique versus Newcastle. And um, we'll see you again soon. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.